Hello, everyone. Uh, thanks for joining us. My name is Chris Freeman, and I'll be hosting this Barron's podcast. I'm the chairman of Barron's Advisor Programs in Australia. I'm delighted today to introduce our guest, um, Jack Otter, all the way from New York, um, different time zones. So uh, he's really putting the hard yards in late at night to talk to us. Jack is um, the head of the Wealth Management Division of Barron's and uh, actually the global head of Wealth and Asset Management for Barron's. And uh, I'm thrilled to have him here with us. Welcome, Jack. Uh, thank you, Chris. It is great to be with you at any time of day or night. <laughs> Very good. Thank you. Thanks for joining us. As most of the audience will know, Barron's is a uh, very successful financial publication in the US, uh, been going for over 100 years, founded by Mr. Barron those 100-odd years ago. But what I'd like to talk to you about today, Jack, is about the ranking system that you do in the States, the ranking businesses you've got, and what you actually do. But before we do that, can you just give us a bit of background on you know who Barron's are? what the magazine is and the readership and just a, a bit of overall background, please. Uh, sure thing. So as you mentioned, it's a 100-year-old publication founded by Clarence Barron, uh, who became known because he discovered that a fellow named Charles Ponzi uh, was doing something that just didn't quite seem on the up and up. Um, so he, through um, rigorous investigative journalism, exposed uh, what became known as the Ponzi scheme, and uh, and and he continued to do good work as a as a journalist, exposing kind of dastardly deeds in the financial industry. And over time, Barons became known not only for warning people about what to look out for, but advising them on what to buy. And, and so Barron's prides itself on being a forward-looking publication. We have conviction and, and make stock recommendations and, and other kinds of recommendations, which is a little unusual in, in journalism. But, but we're known for that. And, and in some circles, Barron's is a must-read for people in the financial industry. Yeah. That's interesting. I've learned something today, the derivation <laughs> of the Ponzi scheme. In uh, On my trips to the States, I've heard uh, people talk about Barron's and say it's um, a weekly publication. This is what it was before the digital age, where high net worth clients used to take it home on a Friday and read the week that was and, and um, then uh, read about what the week's coming up, you know, on the weekends at their holiday houses or their um, time away or leisurely over a coffee on the weekend. It's like the go-to magazine for what's happened in financial markets and what's likely to happen going forward. Is that a fair summation of your readership? Exactly. Now, we have, of course, morphed with the internet age and, and we publish uh, not uh, not quite 24, but certainly seven. So, um, so seven days a week, there is updated information on, on the website. But where I hear the real value proposition is from people who say they are bombarded with information all week long and for on Saturday or Sunday mornings, as you said, they settle down with a cup of coffee, get the longer read, a little bit of analysis, and it, it's different from all the stuff that's coming at them either on their phone or their laptop screen or whatever all, all week long. And, and I think that's important that we preserve that and, and, and play up that. Yeah. And that, that, that's your brand and what, what you're famous for. So your readership is, you know, usually 
mass affluent or high net worth readers? Absolutely. And in fact, I mean, I've heard great stories about guys and not, not now so much as uh, pre-internet, they said they'd, they'd come back from their summer house, as you mentioned, and if they hadn't had barons, they'd be running around New York City looking for um, a newsstand that still had one because their boss told them they couldn't come in Monday morning without having read uh, barons. Um, <laughs> essentially, I see it as two, two or three different profiles. There are in general, people in the financial industry who need to keep up for work or just want to keep up. There are financial advisors. We have a fairly high readership of financial advisors. And then, you know, there's another group that that kind of sees us as their sports pages. What they're into is not so much um, what happened in the game, or maybe they watch the game on television, but but they like following the markets just the way a sports fan follows, um, you know, whatever team they like, um, the Rabinos, um, or the, the Sydney Swans, if I can, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, a little very good. Rabbitohs, Sydney Swans. That's very good. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so from that readership, um, my understanding is that those readers were asking for referrals for advisors and etc. And tell us how, um, the ranking system or the business that you created on the back of that. Sure, it's it's interesting. I think it's particularly interesting in the context of what has happened in Australia. So roughly 20 years ago, Barron's was doing a fair number of stories about financial advisors who were behaving badly. And the readership said to the then president and editor-in-chief, thank you for keeping these guys honest, keep it up. But in the meantime, I'm looking for a, an honest financial advisor. I'm looking for a good one who can actually help me. How, how can we do that? And so that was the birth of the idea of what is now a very important business for us. Um, and we describe as our mission statement, shining a light on the best in the business. So mm -hmm. Barron started ranking financial advisors. And at first it was just fairly simple. We had a list of a uh, hundred financial advisors who we said were the best in the business. And you know, quickly over time, that list evolved as word spread, oh, Barron's was doing this. It became more and more competitive. Um, and, and eventually, and I really don't think I'm overstating it to say it is now the gold standard in the U.S. financial industry to have a, a Barron's ranking. Um, and we've expanded the lists over time um, to reflect the reality of, of changes in the business, different needs of readers, and also, frankly, um, you know, some demographics. So in addition to our top 100, um, we have a top teams, which is actually becoming our premier ranking because uh, and, and, and the Australian industry is familiar with this as well the the days of the sole practitioner uh seem to be fading a bit there's still a role for that person but the most sophisticated outfits seem to have teams which meet the complicated needs of their clients uh, which allow for scale so you can have a chief investment officer worried about that and then you have relationship people and, and so forth um when people are worried about bringing the next generation along, the old days of cold calling and to sell stocks, which is how many advisors in the U.S. who are now in their 60s actually started their careers, that doesn't really happen anymore. So they bring young, bright people on and teach them the business. Um, yeah. And so over time, we, as I said, we've got we've got a teams list, the top 100 list. We've got a list of top women advisors, which is really interesting. In a, in a male-dominated industry, there's some fantastic women out there, and so so the lists have evolved over time. Yeah, that, that, that's interesting. And um, what does it mean for an advisor in the States to become a, a ranked Barron's advisor? 
So to sum it up in a sentence, and I think I may have stolen this from you, Chris, uh, when you are a Barron's ranked advisor, the phone rings. Yeah, Uh, it is that simple. Um, When somebody goes out to look for an advisor, say a a high net worth individual, they'll talk to some friends and, and get some names. Um, but but a financial advisor is a, is a very personal decision. And just because you like Sam or Joe doesn't mean their advisor is right for you. And frankly, some people may not want to have their buddy's financial advisor. Um, and so when you go to Google, you could you could be assaulted by ads of people. You know, you don't know whether they're any good or not. Um, but people often alight on the Barron's list. And when we've been doing it long enough that I think people trust the list. And so what I hear from advisors is that lots and lots of great prospects come over the transom simply because they've seen, seen the name in Barron's. Yeah. And um, there's one team in, um, in LA for Merrill Lynch, high net worth, really mainly ultra high net worth that, that tracks this very carefully. And uh, last December, um, they told me that they had brought in nine families over the course of the calendar year as a result of being on the Barron's list, um, one of whom was literally a $1 billion client. That was the amount he'd sold his biotech firm in Boston for. Um, that is a liquidity event, if I've ever heard one. And um, and rather than just allocating a sleeve to these guys, um, he gave them the, the, whole, uh, the whole fortune. And that's all Barons did was was get the name in this guy's hand. I mean that that team convinced him that they'd be the right ones to sure. take over his account. But but again, Barons puts names in front of people, and then we have a good reputation. When when people go and do their due diligence, they find oh yeah okay that 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 was a good list. Yeah, and and on the back of that ranking, you um, and I've been fortunate enough to attend a number of these. You have summits. You have the top one hundred. You have the top one hundred women, and you have teams events. Um, how did that all come about and uh, how do they work? Sure. Well, uh, to me, the the secret sauce here is the specifics of the advisory industry. So when I, I was at Barron's as an editor and writer before I got involved in this part of it, and I had trouble believing that all of these people would get together and share ideas. I mean, if you had a an aerospace convention, the guys from Airbus wouldn't go to the guys at Boeing and say, hey, I found a way to reduce our drag and, and get you know more uh, fuel economy. Um, let, let me share my, my blueprints with you. But in the advisory industry, we found that elite advisors were happy to share best practices with their, their peers around the industry. And part of the reason is that as one guy told me, he said, there's plenty of money to go around. Um, sure, we will compete head to head occasionally for a client, um, but we're not hard up for for finding people who who could be good clients. And to use the example in the states, if if you've got an advisor in Miami who might have a lot of say clients or developers or something, and then the guy in LA might have Hollywood actors uh, as clients, those two aren't really going to go competing head to head. But they also find that they don't have that many opportunities to meet people like them, advisors to ultra high net worth people. So at our at our events, they really will say, oh, you know, here's a problem I've got with recruiting um, young people for my team, or I'm trying to figure out the right career path for these client associates and so forth. And they will share all those best practices. And it's really, um, it's wonderful to see. And, and it's become to the point where our summits are, are almost like reunions. And, and you just see the, the hugs and, 
and the glowing faces they get together yeah. um, each year. Yeah, and the, the quality of the speakers and the quality overall quality of the event is first class. And one thing that you, you didn't mention is the difference between this list and other lists. You're not a product provider. You're not a fund manager. You're not a platform provider. You're not a dealer group, as we call them here in Australia. You're independent, so you can be pragmatic um, regarding the rankings and. All the um, summits that you have are by invitation only and people think it's a real privilege to be there. So, you know, you do a great job. So um, can we just move Let on? me just throw in one more thing there, Chris, sure. which is that it, it has come to the point now where it is a real treat to get invited to a summit. And so the big firms, we call them wirehouses in the States, the Morgan Stanleys, the Merrill Lynch's and all that, um, they will allocate tickets to their advisors very carefully. They pay us, you know, as an underwriter fee, and they'll allocate those as real treats for their top performers. Okay, which will be really valued by their top performers, right? Exactly. Yeah, that, that's good. That's good. So, Jack, you've been, you know, you, you're talking earlier on about the Rabbitohs and the Sydney Swans. So, you know, you're an old hand at Australia <laughs> these days. Um, you've been here for visiting here for a number of years. Uh, notwithstanding the um, uh, hiatus we had with COVID. Can you talk about your views on the difference between the Australian uh, financial planning landscape and the uh, US uh, with the, you know, one obvious exception is size? Um, just tell us, you know, what, what your thoughts are um, on what's happening here in Australia and what's happening in the US? Well, for starters, I think we have to establish that Australian advisors are younger and better looking. No question about that. <laughs> <Hey>, good <laughs> um, call. Uh, very aware of your audience. <laughs> Actually, in all seriousness, they are younger. And that is an interesting difference. In the States, um, I would say the advisors we deal with are kind of first generation of the new professional role that is the financial advisor. They, the, in the in the old days, they were brokers, they were stockbrokers, you know, selling securities, and now they are holistic advisors. But they're in their sixties, and they are struggling with the issue of succession in many different ways. Um, in Australia, a lot of the people, most of the people at our conferences were younger, and and I think that they are the ones who had came out of the Royal Commission in yeah. exactly the right place, inheriting the businesses from, from some of the people who were, who were a little bit older. Um, another interesting aspect of the Royal Commission is that in the U.S., um, we have a fiduciary standard, but it is not required across all aspects of our business. So in the U.S., um, what we call registered investment advisors, you know, just generally independence, must adhere to the fiduciary standard. At the big wirehouse firms, there's something called the best interest standard, which is not quite as high, to be honest. Um, and, and so I think, I think Australia is ahead of us there, for one thing, um, but it is a big difference. So um, you see uh, across the U.S. just these various standards, and none of them are terrible, but, 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 but I think Australia is, is a step ahead of the U.S., and frankly, I think we are headed there one way or another eventually. Um, my colleague, Matt Barthel, who I think you're going to be speaking to in one of these podcasts, um, is a real student of both our industry in the US and and ours, ours I'll call it, in Australia. Um, and, and I think he's going to go into great detail on, on some of those points. Okay, that's great. That's great. And what, what are your plans for Australia, Jack? They are big. Um, so 
For starters, as as you know, we have been ranking um, Australian advisors. We start off with a list of 50. That expanded to 100. And ultimately, we would like to go higher as well. Um, to explain what we do in the States, depending on who you ask, you'll get a very different number for how many advisors there are in the US. Um, but by getting rid of the, the accountant who happens to have a license or whatever, you know, we settled on a number of roughly 120,000 advisors who are serious full-timers. That's all they do, you know, real, real professionals. Um, <clears throat> and so we decided that we would rank one, the top 1%. So, so our biggest list is a, is a list of 1,200 advisors. So we'd like to get to the point where we are ranking at least the top 1% in Australia, uh, which is probably at this point about 150 advisors. Um, but I, I could definitely see us expanding beyond that. And one way we'd like to do it is to do what we do here, which is to go state by state. Um, so, for instance, in the in the United States, if you simply um, use, let's say, a, a Foom um, filter, you'd get a lot of people in California and Florida and New York and Chicago and not a whole lot in Wyoming. By going state to state, um, we we do have every state represented. And and so I think that will help us a lot in Australia when we can get to that point, which I hope is in the near future. Um, we started out holding events in Sydney. This year, we'll have our first one in Melbourne. Uh, and so and, and so who knows what's next? Um, but um, but we do want to ex expand. And then there we found as we got to know the industry better in the United States, we we would try to be more ear than mouth and listen to what the needs of the advisor were. And so we have developed other things that we think are helping the industry. Uh, one is we recently built an advisor finder tool, um, which is a much bigger list than simply those that we've ranked. Uh, it inclu includes those we've we've um, vetted for ranking, which is a nice big number, and then even more beyond that. And so people online can use it to match themselves with a good advisor. It is still in the early going, uh, but as advisors well know, um, especially the, the better and better their practice gets, the better and better an idea they have as to who the ideal client is. And we found uh, firms in the States, um, sometimes they have to fire a client. Um, sometimes the client is, is a problem, but sometimes it's simply that they don't fit in with the value proposition of the advisor. And so we want to create a tool that will kind of jump beyond that. So by the time the the reader of Barron's or the Wall Street Journal in this country, or perhaps the Australian in Australia, by the time the reader has filled out the questionnaire, um, we know enough about that reader and we have enough details about the advisor that we can make a really good match. So no one's time is being wasted. Um, and, and that will be super helpful for driving prospects to advisors and, and helping Australians. And, and I think, frankly, the nation is still under advised. Um, there are, I've seen different numbers, three and a half million clients, um, by one account. And that, that could be wrong, but I think it, 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 whatever the number is, it is not as high as it should be. And, and, and if we can help match, um, good advisors with Australian clients who need them, uh, that would be a big win. Yeah, that, that's great. That's probably a, a good, um, spot to leave the podcast on, but just in conclusion, I'd just like to say that. The future for advisors in this country looks really bright for quality advisors. The Royal Commission, as painful as it was, has done the industry a favour in terms of improving the quality and um, the, the lesser numbers 
we've got a you know super guarantee levy here and the pie keeps getting legislated gets getting bigger and bigger every year and tax laws and superannuation laws in this country are so complex everyone at one stage of their life needs an advisor at least once but the smarter ones do it you know early in accumulation so the thing that um, got me about Barons when I sort of first um, was talking talking to you guys six or seven years ago was that you wanted to, and you touched on this before, shine the light on the top 1%, not the bottom 1%, because mm-hmm. the press down here was just full of negative stories about advisors. And we all know there are some very, very good advisors that have been very, very helpful and very valuable to their clients. So... Um, anything else we want to sort of you want to cover off, Jack? I, I will underline that point, Chris, because the problem is, well, I do think it is very important to expose um, misdoings, and I'm a journalist at at heart, and and I feel that's very important to you know um, what, what what's the expression? Mold doesn't grow where the sun shines, or whatever. The yeah. problem is that in the public perception, once they've seen a few bad apples, they think that applies to everyone, and it certainly does not. We know the industry well enough to know that. The help that they can provide with people is absolutely enormous. And we we want, as you see, you know, again, to shine a light on the best in the business, to explain the help, help advisors, explain the value proposition to your nation um, and, and then help those people find them. And, and, and that's if we can do that, I think that that's a wonderful service. Um, there aren't enough hours in the day. I wish I could spend six, six days a week uh, on our Australia business. Um, I do what I can, but uh, it's it's really really exciting to see the enthusiasm in the industry and how much the advisors who we deal with care about what they're doing and constant eagerness to grow and do better. And uh, if we can help with that, then that will be a job well done. Okay. Well, we look forward to seeing you out here in Melbourne. You'll have to find a new football team away from the Swans and the Rabbitohs in Melbourne, <laughs> um, but I can help you with that uh, in October. <laughs> And um, thanks very much for your time this evening. Thank you, Chris. All the best, Jack. You too. This message comes from Viking, committed to exploring the world in comfort. Journey through the heart of Europe on an elegant Viking longship with thoughtful service, destination-focused dining, and cultural enrichment on board and on shore. And every Viking voyage is all-inclusive with no children and no casinos. Discover more at viking.com.